So I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we've gotten really good at this. Every year we make um, a calendar and a photo book of pictures of our family and our vacations and things that we've done. And my wife's gotten really good at this. She'll make a calendar. She'll put a bunch of collage of pictures of our kids and we'll give that as Christmas gifts. Then she'll make a book. And then, and then I can take all those photos that she used in, in our little software iPhoto. We can just drop it into a video, throw some sappy soundtrack song behind it, and then sit back and just listen to, you know, James Taylor as our kids are just being transitioned through these sepia tones and, and just get all teary-eyed. And, and, and I don't know about you, but because I've seen so many of our own videos like that, and because I've seen so many of other people's videos like that, like on Facebook and stuff, I'm now beginning to think visually that way. So like if you ask me what I did last year for vacation, I start to have these soundtrack playing in my head and I have these pictures and these transitions and these sepia tones and I wonder you guys do the same thing are you feeling that way as well like we, it's almost like that statement my life has passed before my eyes has transformed for me into HD Hallmark quality my life is passing before my eyes with this sappy soundtrack song um, and so I thought it would be interesting if we did that with Christ what if we took um, a montage of Christ's life? And so right now, why don't you think of a soundtrack song? You get to pick your own music on these programs, right? So you get to pick one tonight, too. What is your... Think of a soundtrack song and get that in your mind. I, I don't recommend country music. I just don't see how you could put a country song behind our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just saying. Yeah. Thank you. Amen, brother. Preach it. So now that you got your song, um, let's, let's just open up. I think the first picture we should see is, there he is as a baby, right? I like baby Jesus. Jesus is there in the manger. The angels are singing, the shepherds and the wise men. And then that picture slowly transforms or, or fades away. And then we see Jesus as a, as a boy, perhaps. And he's in, the, he's in the temple and he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and they're rubbing their beard and he's kind of talking like a kid talks. And then that picture just sort of kind of transitions away. And then we see Jesus. Jesus a few years later, and he's a famous picture, perhaps, of being baptized in the Jordan River. I can see this one. And maybe with this one, I can even hear some sounds of water dripping as the, as the uh, dove lands on his shoulder or his head. And then, and then we see him teaching. And maybe this one, I see a bunch of pictures, just all kinds of pictures of him, maybe leaning up against a tree, maybe on the edge of this boat, maybe up on a mountaintop somewhere. And he has this ability as he teaches, thousands of people are gathering around him. And that's kind of unheard of back then. Thousands of people are gathering around to hear this man speak without a microphone. Um, and then maybe those transitions go away and the music continues. And now we see his power. Jesus has got power. We see him calming a storm. We see him calming the storm of a human being who's possessed by many demons. We see him healing the lepers, healing the blind, healing the sick and the ill, and raising the dead even. So he's got power. And then, and then I see that picture transitioning into one of my favorite pictures. It's a big wide shot of Jesus holding two pieces of bread and passing it to his disciples at the Last Supper, where he says, take, eat, this is my body. And then he, we cut away from there and we go into this garden where I can see Jesus weeping and praying. And I don't know what drops of blood, sweat look like, but I'm imagining it on this picture. And he's, God, if there's any way, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me. And then here's a famous picture. You see it often, even still today. Judas comes in and kisses Jesus to betray him. That picture you still see in literature, in movies all over the place. It's, it's, it's a very common motif, the betrayed with a kiss. 
And then Jesus is bound and he's dragged late at night into Caiaphas' house, the high priest, where they're going to try him late at night. So I see this picture of Jesus being tried. Actually, when I think about it, I really don't see that picture. All those other pictures I mentioned, I see those pretty clearly in my head. Even though I've never seen a picture of Jesus, I do see those. Are you, am I the only one or am I just a visual person? You Raise your hand if you see it. Or give me an amen or a what what. All right, cool. So, but I don't see this picture of Jesus being tried late at night in the high priest's home. I just don't see that picture. I, I think I typically skip over that part and go straight to his, his, his flogging and then his crucifixion and then the resurrection. So I found this picture on the internet. Um, it is, uh, here, this is called Christ Before Caiaphas, um, painted in 1617. And the picture intrigues me. If you just look at Jesus I think he looks like a stud, you know? That's a good looking Jesus. And he looks calm. He looks collected. He looks like he can handle himself, you know? He's bound, but he looks like he doesn't have to be. <laughs> he can unbind himself. I, look, I think he looks that way. And then there's Caiaphas. He's old, wrinkled, got a beard, of course. And he's wagging his finger at Jesus. And right below him is the law, the Torah, where he's saying, you broke this law, you broke that law. And the candle is the centerpiece of this whole painting. And it's done intentionally to say, this was an illegal trial. This is a trial done at night. And it's done by candlelight. Because they didn't have lights, I guess, back then either. But nevertheless, it's done by candlelight because it's illegal. What's interesting to me, though, is that even though that room is lit by the candle, where is the center of light in the picture? Do you see that? It's Jesus. Jesus has got like his own light. He, the candle is, is, is light and it's lighting up Caiaphas' face a little bit, but Jesus is well lit. It's like he's got his own light. I think that's interesting. So here's what got me thinking. Caiaphas has his man. He's gotten his man. He's dragged him into his house and he's looking right at his face. He's looking right into the face of God. And I wonder, what does Caiaphas see? Does he see a man? Does he see a king? Is he threatened by this man? This may be a king. Does he see God? Does he see compassion? Does he see love? Does he see scandal or a lunatic? And then I wonder, what would I see? Have you ever wondered this? What if I lived 2013 years ago and I was there and I saw Jesus passing by in the street? Would I think he was a king? Would I think he was just a man? Would I think he was God? Would I be drawn to him? So it got me thinking, Caiaphas is looking right at him, and what's he going to, how's he going to judge Jesus? Well, Isaiah tells us in this next section, verses 1 through 3, he tells us exactly what Caiaphas is going to do, and he tells us exactly what you and I tend to do. And listen to what he says. He, who believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah through these three verses tells us, I see three things that we will not do. First, we will not look at him. Second, we will not desire him. And third, we will not esteem him. And what I want to do tonight is I want to build a sermon around those three things. Um, look at him, desire him, and esteem him. But I want to turn them into positives and say, let's look at him. Can we? 
Let's desire him, will we? Let's esteem him, won't you? And so tonight I just want to talk about looking at Jesus, desiring Jesus, and esteeming Jesus. So first let's talk about looking at Jesus. Now, um, the first verse of this section says, Who believed what he has heard from us, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so from the beginning, from a long time, like centuries before this was written in Isaiah 53, God had been promising Israel through the prophets that he was going to save them. They've been in slavery. They've been in bondage. They've been full of sin, and God's been punishing them for that sin. And God says, one of these days... My arm is going to come down and crush your enemies and carry you to safety, and I will save you. In fact, this arm of the Lord has, is mentioned 17 times in the book of Isaiah, and it's mentioned a lot more throughout the whole Old Testament. The arm of the Lord is a powerful thing. It will crush our enemies and carry us and deliver us into salvation. It will completely remove our sins and make us holy. But then Isaiah says... But who will believe that message that the arm of the Lord will save us when the arm of the Lord is revealed? So when we finally see the arm of the Lord, we see it's not a strong and powerful arm. It's a weak and crooked and lame kind of an arm. Um, I, I, I like this. One author says, God used his fingers to create the universe. You can see that in Psalms chapter 8. He used his hand to deliver his people from slavery in Exodus chapter 13. But in order to save mankind from sin and death, he had to roll up his sleeves and use his entire arm. I, I, I really like that quote. Psalm says, when we see it, we will have a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for us. One of my favorite musicians, Rich Mullins, wrote probably one of the cheesiest songs in the world called Our God is an Awesome God. It just got kind of old after a while in 1982. But in the beginning of that song, it says, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. It, it, he, he's, he's got a powerful arm that's going to bring salvation. But Isaiah says, when we see it, it's not going to look like much. It's not going to look like the arm that we expect. It's going to be a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. It will have no form, no majesty that we would even look at it, that we would even consider it. It's just going to die. It's not the picture of Michelangelo, right? Where he paints that arm of, the, of God touching the finger of Adam. And you see God's forearm and his bicep and his tricep and his glute maximus. You know what I mean? But... <laughs> It's not, that's not what God's arm looks like. It's a shoot that comes up out of the ground. Uh, farmers would call it a sucker plant. It's not going to live. So we need to cut it down because all it does is suck the nutrients out of the ground for the other plants to have. There's going to be no form, no majesty that we would ever look at him. The arm of the Lord is Jesus. So have you seen the arm of the Lord? Where? Where is he? Oh, he's over there. See him in that carpenter shop sweeping out the, the shed? That's the arm of the Lord? Who's going to believe this message that God's going to save his people with that? It's just a man. Kind of a poor man, actually. A blue-collar worker in the ghettos of Nazareth. Yeah, you know, I heard he was born in a barn. Yeah, I heard that too. Who's going to believe this message? Isaiah says, you're not going to believe it. And Isaiah says, you're not even going to look at him. You're not even going to consider him. You're not even going to pay him any mind. Tonight, I wonder if we will look at him. Will you look at him? Have, have you seen him? Now, I know you're busy, and I know you got a lot on your plate, a lot of demands in your life, but let's just take this next 20 minutes and seriously look at him. Let's look at the arm of the Lord. Let's 
look at Jesus. Maybe you're a sophisticated person. Maybe you have questions. And I wonder, have you taken the time to really look? Caiaphas is really looking. He's wagging his finger and he's going to make a judgment. And tonight I want you to make a judgment. Who is this Jesus? Is he God? Is he a man? Is he a lunatic? Is he a sucker plant? He's the arm of the Lord. And the next thing Isaiah tells us to do is to desire him. And I, and I found this other painting. Did you notice how similar those two paintings are? If I'm standing in your way, I'll try to get out of your way. Um, it's again entitled Christ Before Caiaphas, different author, only 15 years later. Um, it's exactly the same. Let me go back and look at the other one. There it is. Caiaphas, the candle, Jesus. Here it is. Caiaphas, his finger, the candle, Jesus. It's the same. Someone influenced someone here for sure. I know. But Isaiah tells us that we will not desire him. He has no beauty that we would desire him. You know, some people will look at him and see nothing. Other people will look at him and see a beautiful thing and then desire him. The Bible says, nothing I desire compares to you. And so what I want us to do tonight is to look at him. And then while we're looking at him, we build this desire for him. Do we desire Jesus or do we just write him off? Some people will give their life for Christ. Paul even here says he wants to die to be with Jesus. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die would be gain. I'm to live in the flesh. That means fruitful labor for me. So I'm going to continue to tell people how beautiful Jesus is. But I can't choose really. What am I supposed to do? I'm hard pressed between the two. Should I die or should I stay and, and bear fruit? He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Or in other words, my desire is to die to go home and be with Jesus, for that is far better. So do we desire him like that? Now, the word desire is mostly a negative term. Like when we see it in scripture, even, it's mostly a negative term. It's a synonym for lust and for coveting. We see it in the very first few chapters of the Bible when um, the curse comes and God curses the woman and says, your desire will be for your husband. That's a curse. It's not a good thing. It's a negative thing. So desire is a negative thing in our eyes most of the time. In fact, Solomon says in, in um, uh, Proverbs chapter 19, the whole chapter is about desire. He starts off with desire without knowledge is not good. See, desire is kind of negative. First of all, he warns his sons from desiring the seductive woman. And, and guys, that's a good chapter to read once a week probably. Do not desire this seductive woman. She will bring you down. Do not desire violence. Sometimes men like violence. Do not desire isolation. Sometimes we all just want to be left alone, right? Don't desire isolation, uh, Solomon says. Do not desire laziness. Um, do not desire the riches of other men. Do not covet. Do not desire evil men. And here he's talking about you look at evil men, you say, well, they get away with that and they have all this and you desire their lifestyle. Do not do that. And do not desire wine or strong drink. He doesn't say you can't drink it. He just says, don't look at it as it sparkles in its cup and then desire it. Don't, don't lust after it. It. So desire is typically a negative word in scripture. James says desire, once it is conceived, will give birth to sin. So you have a desire. You're desiring after, say, you want to see a, a naked woman, right? That gets born inside of you. And then eventually it gets birthed into the sin of you looking at pornography. Or the desire inside of you says, I want to be the top. I want to reach the top of my ladder. And that gives birth to you just being mean and rotten, trying to climb the corporate ladder or whatever it is that you're trying to do. 
<coughs> you want more money, it gets born inside of you, conceived inside of you, and as it gives birth, you start to do murderous, lustful things. You want to drink, you want that next hit, whatever it is, that the thing gets you know, born inside of you, or conceived inside of you, and you give birth to actually getting that drink and getting that new hit. Um, and so it's not good. So <coughs> what does desire look like when it's good? How much do we desire Christ? Some people will look at Christ and they will desire him. They'll want to give their life for him. How many martyrs in the, in, the, in the history of our world have sung songs of joy while the flames of fire licked their bodies because they desired Jesus? Desire makes you do crazy things. When you're, when you're feeling desire, you would go all the way and do crazy things. And I think if we desire Jesus, we would do crazy things. Crazy things like the woman at, of Bethany, where she just runs into this household full of Pharisees and she drops her hair and she weeps all over Jesus's feet and kisses it. You know, in the gospels, there's a lot of people dropping at Jesus's feet and kissing them and touching them and touching the hem of his, hem of his garment. Desire makes us do crazy things. It might make you drop your nets, leave your fishing boat and your family and go follow some dude you just met three minutes ago. That's crazy. Do we desire Jesus in that way? When was the last time you did something crazy for Jesus? Honestly, like when was the last time you did something crazy for Jesus? Honestly, I I hate to be negative, but it almost seems to me like we don't desire him like that. I mean, here's a question. What would the American evangelical church look like? How would it look different? If we desire Jesus so much, we would do crazy things like the disciples did, like the woman of Bethany did. We'd look like a different place, I think. Maybe I say that because I know my own heart. (laughs) I, I know that I don't desire him. That song, nothing I desire compares to you, isn't really true in my heart, if I can be honest. Do you desire him like that? Here, here, let me rationalize because I'm really good at rationalizing. Um, Maybe I do desire him, but maybe that desire just hasn't given birth to anything yet, right? It's conceived in me, but I just haven't done anything with it. One of these days, I'll be better when I'm older, right? I'm going to get there. Or maybe I do desire him, but I just desire other things more, like myself and like my home and like my computer, whatever. Here's a question. Let's discuss this. Maybe we do desire him, but maybe our desire hasn't yet conceived and given birth to anything. It's something I just said. Or maybe we desire other things more. How do you feel about that quote? Or what does that make you think about? Or what do you think about that? That's the question. So discuss that. What we do, and I forgot to mention this in the beginning, for those of you who are visiting, we, um, one of our highest values here at Missio Day is to build community. Um, Facebook isn't really community, um, but, but we want real intimate community where we know each other and we love each other and we're praying for each other and, and, and you don't get lost in a crowd. You have friends where everyone knows your name. And no matter how much we grow, that will always be our highest priority is to build intimate, real community. Because I think that's what church is supposed to be. That's why we're here. And so we foster that by sitting in tables and having discussion times during the, during the message because that builds community. And that I get to hear what you think about what I just said, because maybe what I said was stupid. And you can tell me that if you want to. And maybe you have something to say that's better. And this guy over here needs to hear what you say over there, because he's not tracking what I'm saying, but he'll track what you're saying. So what we do is take about three minutes to discuss this question. Maybe we do desire him. And this is a rationalization that I've made up, but, but maybe our desire hasn't yet conceived and given birth to anything, or maybe we desire other things more. Hit it for three minutes and we'll come back together. 
Spurgeon actually has a, an interesting sermon about um, desire. I forgot the title of it, but he says something like that in Colorado. He says, what if when we die, we take our desires with us into the afterlife? This is a what if. I don't know what happens, especially if it's an addiction. I hope, you know, all my addictions are going to go away with a new body, I hope. But when we get to heaven, when we get to hell, wherever we go in the afterlife, what if our desires go with us? So say, for instance, you desire being the best, being on the top. Well, then you go to heaven, you're not ever going to be the best. You're not ever going to be on the top. So you're not going to get what you want. Or let's say you desire money, right? All you want is more, more, more money. And I don't know very many people like that, but let's say that's you. Then when you get to heaven, there's going to be streets of gold, but you're not going to get to take it back to your condo. You know what I mean? So you're not going to be able to get it. And then, and then what, if, what if your desire is for a drink? What if your desire is for, you know, drugs? Um, and what if you take that with you into the afterlife? You're not going to get it. And that's going to be bad for you. You're going to be very upset. But what if your desire was for Christ? Well, in the afterlife, you're going to get your fill of that. So, so, so Spurgeon says, what makes you think that you'll desire him then if you don't desire him now? Whoa, that's pretty convicting. Well, because I'll see him, I guess. Well, that's why you need to look. That's why Isaiah says no one looks. Let's look. See him, then build that desire now before you get there, or else heaven's not going to be fun for you. Because <laughs> it's kind of all about him. Amen? Okay, well then, so we talked about this. We talked about looking. We saw this painting. We should look at Christ. Isaiah says we will not look at him. He has no form, no majesty that we would look at him. We talked about desiring him. Isaiah says we would, he has no beauty that we would desire him. And then lastly, we're going to talk about esteem. It says we would esteem him not. Here's another painting again titled Christ Before Caiaphas. It's much older. Um, it doesn't look exactly the same, but it's very similar. Jesus is on the right. Caiaphas is on the left. He's got his beard. He's got his hand between the two of them and he's judging him. It must have really happened this way because I've seen three paintings so far in the same fashion. So that's probably the way it really happened. Let's look at the passage in Isaiah. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So Isaiah says, we're not going to esteem him. With the word esteem, what, what, what does the word esteem mean? The word esteem is actually an accounting word. It's an accounting term. It means to a reckoning of value. So I reckon it to have value, right? This house has value. This house has no value. I reckon so, right? <laughs> you guys remember I'm from Texas, right? <coughs> That's probably why. <laughs> um, so esteem means a reckoning of value. Do we give Jesus value? And what Isaiah is saying in this song is that no, we actually see him and we immediately do not give him value. We think he is a crooked um, sucker plant. He's weak. He's frail. He's smitten of God. He's, he's, he's valueless. And, and also in the passage, God, I mean, Isaiah or God uses the term despised. And I don't know if you noticed, but he used it twice. If I go back, it says he was despised. And then he's rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And the word in Hebrew for despised is really the same word. It's very similar to the word esteem. It's, 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 it means pretty much the same thing, a reckoning of value, to consider something or someone to be worthless, unworthy of attention. It's not so much conscious rejection as it is a hasty dismissal. So here's what's interesting. 
In English, the word despised is a very strong, a very powerful word that has a lot of emotion attached to it, right? If I said, I despise that man, you guys think there's a lot of emotion to that, right? You can imagine me, <laughs> despise the day you were born. But in Hebrew, it's the, it doesn't mean that at all. In Hebrew, it means just, just to, you just call it worthless. You don't even think of it. You just, there he is. You just kind of step over him like that homeless guy down in St. Louis, whatever. No value there. It's, it's not a conscious thought. It's like an unconscious thought. He's just a middle-class, low-class rigmarole, whatever. Not even going to think about it. I don't even know who he is. Who cares? Well, I'm busy. I got things to do. Um, so if I can illustrate that, a Hebrew version of despised is, oh, there's that guy, whatever. I'm just moving right along. I'm just going to step over him and go on. An English version of despise, oh, it's you. I'm going to kick you. I'm going to punch you. I'm going to spit on you. I'm going to go home and blog about you because I despise you. Two different things. And if you ask me, I think the Hebrew version is worse. Isaiah is saying the Hebrew version. <laughs> Isaiah is saying we won't even reckon him as having value. We'll just step over him. It won't even be a conscious thought. It'd be an unconscious thought. It'd just be a part of our life. We just kind of go around him, kind of ignore him. He's nothing. We do this, right? We don't blog about it. Well, some people in America, I'm, I like these people actually, they are mad at God and they hate Jesus and they want to make fun of him and they want to blog about him and they want to write books, you know, like stay away from Christians or Christians suck or something like that. There's a lot of these, I don't know if you've seen these movies or not, but they're out there. Saturday Night Live makes Jesus like one of, his, one of the main characters. They pick on him a lot. But most of us don't do that. And, 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 and that's not as dangerous, I don't think, as what we, most of us do, which is what Isaiah is telling us we do. We despise him. We do not esteem him. We just, what's the word? We just make a hasty dismissal. We don't even give him any a second thought. So here's, I'm going to ask another question before we move on. How and why do we, and when I say we, I mean the royal we. That's you and me and the world and, and um, Saturday Night Live and everybody. How do you and me hastily dismiss and devalue Jesus? Here's an interesting thought. Um, I thought about asking this question. Um, how can we esteem him more? How can we value him more? So, so value, right? Like, like self-esteem means you value yourself. You see yourself as valuable. Uh, low self-esteem means you don't see yourself as valuable. How can we begin to see him as more valuable in our life? But then I thought, we kind of already asked that question in this series of Isaiah 53, and we're probably going to hit it more because it's only 12 verses and we're spending seven weeks on it. So I didn't want to ask the question again, but just rhetorically, let me say, I already know what your answer is going to be. Your answer is going to be like, well, you know, how much do you esteem Christ? Is it high esteem or is it low esteem? And your answer is going to be, well, it's high, I guess, because I love Jesus, but it's not yet as high as it should be, right? That would be what we would say. Am I, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm right. Okay, good. Thank you. But then it occurred to me, that might be the most horrific thing we could say. I value him, but I don't yet value him enough. Well, then do you value him at all? Let me put it into perspective. If a mother said, yeah, I recognize that I probably could value my children more, you would immediately begin to be concerned for those children. Am I right? <laughs> Now, I'm not saying, yes, 
I recognize that I could love them more because I pray for that, right? Lord, please teach me to love, to be, to love my wife and my kids more. I do love my wife and my kids, but I recognize that I don't love them as much as he loves them. And so I pray that I could love them more. I, I could pray that I want to show my love more, right? Be, be better at showing my love and, and, and asking for forgiveness and things like that. But I'm not asking that question. The question is, is value. Yes, I recognize that I need to value my children more. That's a dangerous thought because most people, their children either have all the value or like no value, right? They're, they're better to be seen and not heard kind of a value. For most of us though, our children, our world revolves around them. So we, we work and we work hard in order to provide for our children. We shop organic or whatever it is that you shop because you want your children to have the best. And so if someone said, yes, I recognize I need to value my children more, that's a horrific thing. But yet we would say that to Christ, so some of you could say, well, I know I work a lot of hours, I work hard, but I do that because I value my children, and I value my family, and I want to provide for them, and I want to teach my kids what hard work looks like. Or some of us, like myself, would say, I know sometimes I'm hard on them, but I do that because I value them, and I want them to, to learn how to grow up and, and you know, live right. But can we say the same thing when we talk about how much we value Christ? Yeah, I know I spend too much time over there. And I know I spend too much money over here, but I do that because I value Christ. I think that puts things in perspective. We don't yet value him. Isaiah says we would not value him. We would esteem him not. And I'm concerned that he might be right. And so my challenge for us tonight is, won't you look at him? Won't you desire him? Won't you esteem him? And as we prepare our hearts for Easter, and as we begin to, to, to study this passage, Isaiah chapter 53, my hope would be that we would do just that. And so we've looked tonight at what it looks like to look at Christ, like Caiaphas is looking and judging Christ. Then we talked about what it looks to desire Christ. He's saying, I see no beauty in you that I would desire you. I don't want to see any more of you. I want to cut you down. And then we said, we need to esteem him. He's wrecking him, reckoning him as valueless and just wants to cut him down. And at this scene, what Caiaphas does is he says, what need of further witnesses do we have? What say you? And the people say, he's worthy of death. And Caiaphas spits on his face and slaps him like a girl and sends him off to Pilate to be crucified. Isaiah's prophecy is true. Most of the world will not look at him. They will hide their face from him like a sick person. They will not desire him. They desire everything but Jesus. I mean, mention Jesus next time you're hanging with your non-Christian friends and see how they react. Dude, why'd you got to bring Jesus into this? We don't desire him and we do not esteem him. We, we pay no attention. We give no value. We just hastily step around. Jesus is still all right with me as long as he's back there. My hope tonight is that you've taken some time and you've looked at Jesus. Maybe even that stirring inside of your heart, you would hear this song, nothing I desire compares to you, O Lord. And then maybe we could begin to not say, I know I should value him more. No, value him more. Let's get to a place where we'd be willing, like Paul, to give our lives. That would be better for us. We would be willing to drop our nets. Maybe he's calling you to go to Haiti. <laughs> maybe he's calling you to go to Africa. You would do crazy things because of your desire for Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never taken the time to look at him. Maybe this is the first time that it's come face to face with Jesus. Will you look at him? 
You have to make a judgment. Is he the arm of the Lord that will bring salvation to the world? Isaiah said, this is the arm of the Lord, but it's not what we expected. It's a poor, humble carpenter in Nazareth who's going to die on a cross. And if you believe that that death and that man paid for your sin, then that's the gospel. He died for your sin. And so if tonight was the, maybe the first night that you came face to face like Caiaphas and said, I'm going to size this one up. I'm going to, I'm going to check him out and see if he's the one. I want you to know that he died for you. He died for your sin. And tonight you can be saved. You can be given full life.